Welcome to Outspoken, where we dive deep into the topics and intersection of technology, money, business, and passion. I'm your host, Shana Cosgrove. Partnerships matter. Relationships are everything. And we have them. As women, I believe we just need to assert the ask. You can't change circumstances, but you can really shift how you see things and shift back into being positive, seeing something good. I really focused on my own work, on myself and my own confidence. And then I found someone that cared for me the way I cared for myself. You can't have a successful relationship with someone else and you don't have a successful relationship with yourself. This podcast is sponsored by Nyla Technology Solutions, an SBA-certified 8A, hub-zone, woman-owned small business specializing in full-stack software engineering and data science services to the U.S. government. Our innovative solutions are built to match the speed of mission. For more information, partnering opportunities, and new job openings, please visit our website, www.nyla.io. Want to stay up with the latest on Outspoken? Hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Also, if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to take a minute to rate the show too. If you have any topics or suggested guests for the podcast, please email us. We would love to hear from you. Outspoken at Nyla.io. I am very excited to talk to you. It's like meeting a celebrity. I've seen your beautiful photos everywhere. Thank you so much for being here. Where are you located? My home office, we're in Falls Church. My business is in D.C., of which I have seen very rarely. I did not migrate back into D.C. traffic whatsoever, so I am here and happy. I've lived in Falls Church at least 15 years, so I like it. It's like you can get to action in D.C. and then come on back home. (laughs) Now, are you from this area? No, I'm originally from California, Oakland. I'm from Oakland, California. Yeah, and I lived at home for undergrad. I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad. I thought I was going to be a communications genius, you know, a journalist or something. And then I I got spooked not being able to find a job. So I I went to law school and came to D.C. and I've been here ever since. Where'd you go to law school? I went to Howard for law school. Oh, nice, nice. My dad um, grew up in San Francisco and he went to Berkeley. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It's so funny because they always say you're either one coast or the other. Like you never go from being a West Coast person to an East Coast or vice versa, right? And so your dad and I are odd little birds. (laughs) When you left Howard, what kind of law did you practice? I went to work for a judge. I worked in D.C. Court of Appeals. I worked with Chief Judge Anise Wagner of the D.C. Court of Appeals. I did that for two years. It was probably my favorite life job where I worked for someone. And then I went to a law firm. I worked at a law firm for about four years, one of D.C.'s top firms. And I did insurance coverage law for about four years. 
And that was not my jam. Uh, that's a, a very nice way of saying I hated it, but I I was functional. But I did I did insurance coverage. I did general litigation, like antitrust litigation. I did a little bit of little bit of family. It just did not light me up, to say the least. So around that time, after four years, they were downsizing. So I was like, let me take this as an opportunity to see what I really, I could make a go of it. And I started my first business. What was your first business? My first business was crazy. It was a day spa and hair salon. So totally different than anything that I had been doing. But I looked at it, I was like, if I went back and instead of being a litigator, if I were doing like business law, I'd probably still be doing it. But you don't know what you don't know. And I made that change. And I've been a real entrepreneur ever since. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking when you were working on insurance coverage, a lot of business law is covering the contracts as well. Even if you're doing mergers and acquisitions, I I would think law in general is a lot of making sure not just even that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, but that certain phrases are understood, the risks are associated with it, but it's not where the core action is. You were an advisor to a business, not a business. Exactly. A lot of my skills transferred very well. And even some I didn't think that I had, but being a lawyer, your foundation is now research. So I'm like, well, no, I've never done that before, but let me go look it up. That's our default position. That's what made starting a business a lot more exciting versus anxiety inducing. Don't get me wrong. There was anxiety to be sure, but a lot of people don't start businesses because they're so overwhelmed with the things they don't know. That was what made it so intriguing to me is that it was just a big old research project. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I get to learn this today. I was like, oh, all right, let's figure out how to get financing. Oh, let's find a a building. Oh, I mean, I, I was so crazy, but I did that about 20 years ago. So I was 30 years old. Wow. So young. Where did you even think you were going to have the money to fund a spa because you needed the location? You needed setup, you needed payroll. In short, I needed a lot of money, right? How I funded my first business was with an SBA loan. I had a 504 loan. And for your audience who may not have heard of that, it is a loan that basically, if you have a piece of property that you're like, oh, wow, I can put a business in there, they will help you buy that property. So you will be a property owner and you can put your business in it. That was one loan I got. And then the second one was startup capital loan. And so I was very rare that as a startup, I got to both be a property owner as well as start a new enterprise. And I think it was because they trusted me for whatever reason. They're like, oh, she's a lawyer. (laughs) She's stable. Little did they know. Did you have partners in this? I did not. I did not. And what was your marital status at the time? I was single. It's so funny what you can do when you are ignorant or fearless. I don't know if I was ignorant or fearless or both, but I didn't know what I didn't know. So it all just seems so exciting. But I 
like cringe now. I'm like, oh, damn, I would have never like the person I am now. I probably never would have done that because I would have seen all of the obstacles instead of the opportunities. Thank God for youth and ignorance. (laughs) How long did that business last? About 10 years. And I had two locations. So I was still at the law firm and they had given me a little chance to kind of get my little life together. They were like, okay, we'll give you six months to find your new position. So I was like, okay, what I'm going to do in six months, I'm going to start a business. And so that's what I did. I had like this sense of urgency that I did not want to go work for another law firm. I really, really wanted to um, see if we can make a go of this. And I just, I literally, this was 2002. So I downloaded like every page of the SBA's website. And I was like, okay, I had a big binder. My secretary at the time, she's like, I don't know what the hell she's in there doing, but I just had her printing off everything and binding. I had a binder for business plan. I had a binder for financing. I had a binder for operations and I read everything. And I was like, okay, now I know how to do a business. (laughs) But why a salon? I had a dream. I know it sounds hokey and a little spooky, but I literally had a dream because I didn't know what kind of business I wanted. And the dream was that I had opened my own supercuts. And in the dream, I had cloned my, at the time, hairstylist. Like she was all over (laughs) in the dream. She was at every station. And it was where she was so awesome. Like she uh, was on time, had great customer service. My hair always looked great, whatever. And I woke up like, oh my God, that's it. I'm going to be a business owner. Your hairdresser end up partnering with you? She did not. She faked on me. She was supposed to. We were supposed to be partners. She was going to do that part of it. And I was going to be the management, the financial, all the other parts. And she just got spooked out. And I was like, oh, crap. I got a loan. And and then my, I, you know, I put my business plan together and I got a loan to go find a building to put a day spot in. And the lady faked on me. So I was like, well, I still got to do, I didn't have to do this. So I think I found someone else that would be the manager. And so that person agreed, but they were not an equity partner. They just were going to work in there. And, and that was pretty much what I did for 10 years is just have different people that had cosmetology licenses come in. They worked, I'd pay them a little more and put a business together. And you were a client of your own business. You went in and how I often did, that was the biggest perk, I guess. I always looked cute. <laughs> <laughs> My hair was always done. I rarely did the like massages or whatever, because I was always just so busy. It was so busy. And I would never be relaxed. Like I'm laying on the table, you know, trying to get a massage. And then they'd be like, Nicole, you know, a client needs to see about this. I'm like, oh, I have to take the cucumbers off my eyes and then go upstairs. So it, it was a disaster on that point. But I could always sneak in a hair appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the evolution from owning the salon to moving on from that? I had that one location. It was in Washington, D.C., 
And then I added a second location out in Maryland. And it was a whole different setup. Like it was a part of a town square as a mall, very different terms. And I did that probably seven or eight years in. Like I did that towards the end of everything. And then we had like a big snowstorm. We were like an outdoor town square mall and we had no business for a month, like no business. We could not recover. Like our cash flow tanked, the mall, they were very unaccommodating and we lost that one. And shortly thereafter, the second one tumbled, just could not keep it. So, and in addition to Snowmageddon, we had the recession, the Great Recession. I closed in 2009. And it was very difficult. You know, I know very all too well what people are going through with small business and COVID and losing it, losing everything. That was very much my experience and just trying to rebuild. After I licked my wounds and was like, you know, what is this next chapter going to be? I really took inventory on the things that I enjoyed. And it was not that I enjoyed a spa business, but I really enjoyed creating a business. I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the consulting going full circle to, you know, be an attorney. And so I started a consulting practice, which is what you have today. And what I realized and what I think has been my forever light bulb moment is whatever you had, you can have again, because I had the intellectual property to do it the first time. And so, okay, you lost that. Well, what did you do right? What relationships did you meet? How can you repurpose your gifts in order to get it again? And so that's what I continue to do with my life. I continue to just hold on to the things that I have that can help me to whatever the next chapter is going to be. Are you looking for more from your career than just a paycheck? At Nyla, we offer that and so much more. Join us for a career where your growth is our priority with generous pay, unbeatable benefits, and a supportive environment that cheers on your every achievement. We're scouting for top-tier data scientists, software engineers ready for something bigger. Ready to be a part of a company that cares about where you're going? We're ready for you. Check us out at nylatechnologysolutions.com or drop us a line at hello at nyla.io. How did you deal with the emotions? I think, as you said, what stops people from starting a business is the fear, right? Mm -hmm. You lived through the worst, through not one, but two locations closing down and then the entire thing closing down. What did you do to get through that time? First thing, you have to heal. I think I'm typically a very positive person. So my outlook is always that, but I was very down. I know I had counseling. I would go to church. I would read. I did a lot of things to detoxify myself, to get out all of the sadness, all of the 
guilt, any negative feeling you think I would have, I had them, right? All of the fear, all of the anger. And then my grandmother, who recently passed, had a saying, you give time, time. If you deal with the hurt authentically, I do think that it dissipates. And so after that, and then all of the mechanics that you can imagine going through, how do you close a business? And that is not easy stuff, but I did it. And then the next iteration is I found something to be excited about again, because that's my superpower. Like when I'm excited about something, like watch out, I am going to get it done. I'm bringing people along because that's what I do. That is fun for me is starting fresh, starting new things. And that's how I learned that I'm a serial entrepreneur because I really like starting stuff. I like helping people with things. And my husband and I, the other day, I'm having one of my parents has Alzheimer's and it's newly diagnosed and it's very difficult. And my other parents is not having a good time adjusting with all this, as you can imagine there too. I was sitting in the car and I was like, you know, I am struggling here. And I said, and I think the reason I wasn't going to visit as often is because this is sad. This is sad and I can't change it. (laughs) I cannot do anything. And he gave me a phrase that I love. And it's that, you know, we all go through valleys. We all should go through things. It's a difference if you pitch a tent in the valley. He was like, some people like to just pitch a tent and stay in the valley. He said, and Nicole, you have something about you that figures out how to just keep it moving until you get out of it. That day, I went to the store, got my mom some flowers, got them some food, and I made her smile. And she was struggling. And I was like, and maybe that's it. It's just having the power to shift how you view things. You can't change circumstances, but you can really shift your narrative, shift how you see things and shift back into an empowered state, shift back into being positive, seeing something, doing something good. And I know those are two totally different things from your personal life to your professional life, but I sense a theme in my own life that that is the only control I have is how I feel. When you look at something as like concrete, like something is just this way and there's no way around it, you're a victim. You have nothing but that view. And I always win because I always am like, nope, I got another way you can look at it. I know that you can. And I irritate a lot of people, as you can imagine. But I'm like, this is the only life I have. I want to be positive. I want to be happy because there's a lot of crap in this world. And I'm trying to do the best that I can. I like a couple of things that you said. One is, I think there's no denying that there are valleys that there are going to be hard things and that you can pause, take a moment to process it. You're upbeat and positive, but not in a fake Pollyanna way, as in, I got a lemon and how do I make lemonade? That's really how you come across. 
yeah, you have to deal with it because if you brush it away, then it just comes out later anyway. You come across as not only a bright light, but a beam of energy. So I believe you when you say that if there's anything you wanted to do, you turned your beam of energy and it came to life. Tell me about your consulting business. That's what you have today. Yeah, my husband and I, since 2015, actually, we started a business called Cobra Johnson and Romney. I am an attorney, so it started off as a legal consulting firm, but it's morphed into more and even a second business. His superpower is real estate development. So we do real estate, we take property, and we do mixed use redevelopment for communities. And it's a lot of fun. I, as you know, focus on small businesses. And so how I help is I make sure that we shore up those small businesses to put into those new communities. And that's great. What I love to do though, I mean, I do operations. I obviously do legal, but I really like communications for small businesses. I like the branding. I like the personality, putting a personality of a business together. I know this sounds strange. I don't necessarily like social media because I think it's a being a content creator is hard work and it's consistent and you got to do it. But I know how to do it. I know how to connect a business with their audience. I love doing that. And so now we have bifurcated and created two businesses, the CJR group and then CJRD was the development. And the group, we get to just do everything. We get to do a lot of consulting for businesses. We get to work with municipalities to say, hey, you want to help small businesses? Pay me. I will put together a curriculum and I'll come in and curate it specifically for your entity. And that's been a lot of fun, you know, because I always get torn. My heartbeat is small business, but I know my pocketbook and small businesses, it doesn't always fit, right? And I I do it for free. I have done it free so many years because I'm just like, oh girl, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. But working with municipalities, working with banks where they are devoted to small businesses and they can write the check and they can give it to me and then I can help small businesses and they don't have to pay. And it's a really great thing. There's that expression of like, do what you love, just do what you love and the money will follow. But sometimes the money doesn't follow. And Mm -hmm. there are tiny adjustments that you can make that make it easier and allow for you to give and to make money and have a living in the process. Not everything pays. People aren't always willing to pay for things. I, I give the example of, Yeah, you're fabulous at social media, but that came with your love of communications, degree in communications, and a law degree. So people poo-poo social media and act as if anyone can do it or any person who can speak can produce something that's valuable on the internet, but it's not true, but still people don't want to pay for it. You are my new best friend, girl, because that you have said a word, as I like to say. It's true. I know I have had clients that are like, I want to be a thought leader. 
And I'm like, all right, let's let's get it done. And I'll show you what I did. And it's been about eight years and I'm, you know, <laughs> trying to do this, but let's give it a go. And then I'm like, okay, what do you want to talk about? And crickets, right? And so to your point, it does look easy because I really enjoy it. And you have to be authentic. You have to like this stuff. You have to like people. You have to have a strong voice about what it is that you like, and you have to have some credibility. So I talk about small businesses, people listen to me because they know I've lost a small business. They know that I am not just professorial and telling you to do stuff that I haven't gotten my behind kicked about too. I was a trainer for six years. I had a contract through the SBA and I would always start with telling my story and you'd have these CEOs ranging from whatever thousands to millions, but that authenticity, that transparency, that let's do this together, that collaborative thing that I'm not better than you. I'm just trying to share what I know. That's my jam. That's who I am. I don't know how to be any, I literally try. Like, I don't know how to be any different. I really have tried. I'm 50 years old. I I am not changing. I like who I am. And guess what? That's the difference between being 20 and 50 is 20, you think everybody is supposed to like you and you focus on the ones that don't. Why focus on the haters? Why focus on people that don't like you? These people that do, they are really cool (laughs) and they're nice to you. Well, I think that's the scare of narrowing actually provides you the greatest value. And in the beginning, you're scared because you want your probability to be greater. You think Mm -hmm. that being accessible or supposedly appealing to everybody makes you more valuable or potentially will allow more money to come in. But what Mm -hmm. happens is it's not authentic. You're not really great at everything. You're not. one tip for small business is actually the more specialized you are. And when you do a special thing, you actually grow the most. Plus you're happier. And I feel like you can go deep and then why that's always my strategy. Now, when you get to be a larger government contractor, right. And you have a client base that loves what you do. You can then afford, as you said, let's partner with someone. Let me bring on a new division. Let's do this. And then that's a decision. That's intentional that I want to be this voluminous consultant versus a specialized. As you're starting out, you can't do everything. You can't do everything well as one person. It takes courage to be yourself. It also takes courage to say, I'm turning away business, especially if your bank account is a little, a little low. You're like, I can do that. And I love the phrase, all money ain't good money, because if you're doing stuff just for the finances and you don't have the competency or the experience, it'll come out in the wash. You kind of live to regret it. Now, before we move on, tell me what prompted you to start a business with your husband? And how long were you married before you started it together? So it was actually the opposite. I have 
known my husband. He was my business partner before he was my husband. So we started our first business with two additional partners. It was a graphic design company. He was an investor and a friend that I knew, this guy, full circle, he was a graphic designer and he did the graphic design for my previous business, The Day Spa. And one day he called me up and he was like, I'm starting up my own business, hanging up my own shingle. And I have these two investors. And I was like, "Mm, let your attorney friend come over and vet these investors because I am hyperly paranoid about any new people. So, (laughs) so we go to this office and it was two guys and my friend and I'm taking notes and I'm like, they introduce herself. Then the guy that I didn't know, he was like, she's really on it. Like she can be operations. We'll just be the financing graphic guy. You're not operations. You stay graphic. And then on paper, it made perfect sense. That lasted for about six months. It was a total train wreck. Everybody had cross purposes, but Harold and I were like, you know what? We can do something together. Consulting, this could be something we can get off the ground. And so we started Cobra Johnson and Romney together. We had a third partner, Romney. He's on senior status now. But yeah, we started our business together. Harold and I have only been married five years and I have been married before. You can read my book. You'll find out how many times. But this is an amazing blueprint for, I think, relationships that I never had access to, which is you start not from a romantic perspective, but from great communication, a tremendous amount of respect. You have to trust each other. You're dealing with finances. And we had a lot of core things that obviously married couples have to deal with too. And we we were really good partners. We were really good partners. And he was like, oh, you do this, I'll do this. And so there was just a lot of this fluidity. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it was almost like a movie. Like I looked up one day and I was like, oh my God, he is very attractive. (laughs) In my mind, for your listeners who like soul music, Maxwell, all I could see is Maxwell, the singer. I was like, oh my God, he is gorgeous. And that was all she wrote. So you made the first move? So that is debatable. I don't (laughs) think I did. We went on a business trip. We were at a trade show for a client and I did something very good. And he was like, I'm so thankful for you. He was just so nice. And I was like, oh my God, I think he likes me too. (laughs) Oh my God, I think he likes me. There was something a little extra there. I met my husband at work and I was like, oh, his green eyes and the fluorescent (laughs) lights from above. (laughs) I mean, yes, I never give up on love. I now that is the part where I am totally a Pollyanna. I've always from a little girl just wanted a husband. I know a lot of my friends cringe to hear me say it, but I did. And I wanted to work with my husband. I wanted a business and I wanted a husband. I was in the kindergarten. I did a little, my little life plan, you know, who is Nicole? And I was like, okay, she has brown eyes. The first page is the little eyes. The second page is whatever. And then what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be a wife and a storekeeper. (laughs) 
Did your parents do anything like that? Did they inspire this? Oh, yeah. My parents are still married. It'll be their 53rd anniversary in June. They knew each other like six years before that. And they were, they really liked each other. You know, like I had a pretty awesome childhood. Had lots of parties. They would go on their trips. I'd be all sad and jealous because they wouldn't take us. They wanted to do their own thing, you know. And my dad owned his own store. He owned a, um, a convenience liquor store growing up. And I thought he was the coolest person ever because like he was a dad that would come to school and like be able to go on my field trips because he could get off. He is the greatest. He's always been the greatest. But seeing that he was just always so confident and cool and he had his own business and I didn't know anybody else whose dad had their own business And I just felt really special. And I'm sure, absolutely sure that that was planted in me some kind of way. Did your mom work in the business with him? No, she was a legal secretary for 40 years. She did her thing. She was a legal um, secretary in, in San Francisco, California. And I just idolized her because she was so, like, she's so beautiful, like, so beautiful. I always had a little complex because I was like, my mom looks like a movie star. And she would just go over to San Francisco and with all of the cool lawyers and all this stuff. And they all loved her. And I thought she was famous, like, because she had like a big time job. She always had her own thing. She would work, she would come home. She would be with her husband. She'd go get her hair done. Like she kept herself up. She had Jane Fonda, the big old album. She put the album on and be like, I'll be with you guys in a minute. And then she'd be doing Jane Fonda workout. That's awesome that you have two parents that you admire so much and have influenced you and continue to influence you. Do you have tips since you work with your husband on... I guess in marriage, since you you already knew you guys were compatible for working together, and now you have this very combined life. It gets messy when you work together. Now, I do that, too. And I find that actually a lot of female business owners have their husbands work in the business. I haven't seen the data on it, but I feel like a lot of female business owners who are married have their spouse working in the business. But what is it that you think that makes a successful marriage? This is the last one. I told him I'm jumping in the grave with him. He cannot get rid of me. So there's that. I actually really like him. I like him. I admire him. And he pumps me up. Like he gives me confidence that I don't think I singularly could do. And I think that's a good thing. If your spouse doesn't think you're the sun and the moon, like, God help you. You know, like he encourages me. I encourage him. I think that that is a big thing and you don't need to work together to encourage and inspire. I am a person of faith. And with this relationship before I met him, right before I met him, I really focused on my own work, on myself and my own confidence. And then I found someone that cared for me the way I cared for myself. That is the first part. I don't think you can do it any other way. You can't have a successful relationship with someone else and you don't have a successful relationship with yourself, full stop. With regard to 
husbands and wives working together. I spoke at Harvard about four, five years ago, did a panel, business school, other people there. The keynote speaker, I believe, was SoulCycle, the CEO of SoulCycle at the time. And she was unapologetic about saying her husband was her wingman. Like he really helped balance out all of the responsibilities. And I think that that is the key. It really is the key that I don't see a lot of married CEO women that are able to have tremendous success personally and professionally without a truly supportive person. And when you own a business together, it stands to reason that it works because you both want it to work. You are both aligned. Now, I will also say that sometimes he's leading, sometimes I'm leading. We are both alpha personalities, but we do the beta. We do the beta dance. So we try to let each other lead. We've had the business since 15. So that is great. This is our fifth year anniversary coming up in June. I'm so excited. I love my business. I love my husband. I respect him. And I feel like that's the glue is that at the end of the day, I literally have never gone to bed mad at him because I'm like, that's my best friend. I got to get that over with so we can go back to being friends (laughs) because I got too much to tell him. I have a joke that every morning, even though there's so many logistics that we work through every day, still every morning might be who is the more important meeting that day, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because the other one has to flex. Like someone has something that day that they cannot skip or need to do their A and the other person has to be the beta and whatever else is, is needed that day. But I think too, we... My husband and I, we met at work, so I knew what he was like mm-hmm. at work. I actually thought it was a huge compliment that he joined my business because I thought, wow, he could go anywhere, right? Like he's so wanted. And we have a very clear vision about our life and a very clear vision about how we want the company to go. Yeah. And each day we are actively working on it together and having to adjust to reality to some of the lemons that come along and how we're going to deal with it. I'm always relieved when the kids are gone that we still like each other. (laughs) Yes, I 100% agree with you. And we're a blended family. So our children, we have five children amongst us. Four of them are adult and out of the house. God loves us. And then to your point, so we met later in life where we were still raising high school, college kids, adults, but we always had our carved out space where we were the priority. Our relationship was the foundation at that time. And being on the sunset of child rearing, I get to look forward to being with someone that I really do like and what that post-child rearing phase of the relationship will look like. I really wanted to ask you about the Bow Collective. Can you tell me and describe for us what it is and what the vision is? 
both stands for Black Owner and Women's Collective. I started it because I have always been a small business advocate. I love small businesses. I've done it my whole adult life. And I was appointed by the previous administration to the National Women's Business Council. It's a bipartisan council which focuses on women in business issues. And I think that's where uh, we met in Baltimore. I knew you were at one of our roundtables. So we focused a lot on women in business issues. And I saw the disparity between different races when it comes specifically to women-owned businesses. I was like, how can I bring awareness and resources to the fact that for our Asian sister businesses, they are grossing 190000 And our white sisters, maybe a hundred, And Latino sisters, their businesses are, I think, about 75. Native American are right around there. And for Black businesses, our Black sisters, they were at $24,000 a year. And that just gave me pause. I served on the Access to Capital subcommittee as well. And I was like, what can I do to bring capital, raise awareness, communications, and how can we do more contracts so that we can start to bring them in? I am often blessed to be in so many different rooms where resources are. And I really wanted this organization to bring resources to Black women in a way that they had not seen before. And the way that we're doing this is I'm bringing 50 women together. These businesses are some of the best and brightest businesses. They all have over $1 million in gross annual sales. So they really are tight. We want to do business together. And we want to go after business together. And we want to bring capital resources to these businesses under the cover of it. And I could not be more happy to see how many allies that we have that see exactly what we want to do and how they want to support us. Pam Eason, the president of WeBank, I cannot tell you how many resources that she said, Nicole, whatever you need, and she means it, whatever you need. And another would be Enterprising Women's Monica Smiley. She graciously put us on her on the last cover of her magazine and advocated, allowed us to do articles that really focus on this issue. My hope is that all of our sister businesses, we all have different value, all come together. And whenever one of us needs help, what can we do to support? That has always been in my DNA, always been my hope is what can I do to help? And that is the essence of what the collective is about is instead of competing, how can we collaborate? How can we come together and not only get business for each other, but also train other um, small businesses that don't have those resources. I'm delighted to do that. And yeah, I just, I am excited about the prospects of bringing these businesses into the sunlight, into the shine, having them grow, because I fundamentally believe economic development is how this whole country is going to come together, is 
everybody wants a job. Everybody wants a house. And the entrepreneurs, we are the heartbeat. We are the heartbeat of America. And so when you have people on the front lines out there trying to put good jobs out there and good communities, I think it's going to benefit us all. I love it. When did it start? Just in February. We started February. Where did you come up with the, I know you said you love branding, but you killing it on the branding with this. So can you describe what really makes the Bow Collective stand out? I tossed and turned over this. I went to the last Enterprising Women's Conference just in November, and I met this beautiful, amazing woman. Her name is Edie Frazier. Edie is the godmother of so many women in business organizations. And I told her, I was like, you know, I'm thinking, very timid, you know, like I'm thinking that I really want to do something for Black women. (laughs) She's like, I think that's fabulous. You know, I think it's fabulous. Let's do it. And I said, I was thinking of the Bow Collective. Oh, that's great. Mine is the WBC, uh, Women Business Collaborative. Do that. She said, if you can find 20 people that you think you can get, I will help you put you in contact with resources. I started, it was not Bow. It didn't make sense. It was Black women's collaborative, Black women owners. I was like, I got to change this around because a bow, every Black woman wants to look good and you got to have a bow. And so we had to have a pin and it had to be green and silver. I was like, all of it, it just all has to match. So it turned into the Bow Collective and we haven't looked back. Who designed the logo and where did the colors come from? That's great. That's what my company does. So I designed the logo. My firm, the CJR Group, designed the logo, the website. We do our podcast, the Bow Nose Business. Bow Nose Business. Bow Nose Business. So you have to be of a certain season age to know exactly what that reference is. And everybody loves it. I get one of them on each week. She tells her story, what her journey was from a child and how she came upon being an entrepreneur. So it's a lot of, a lot of fun and they trust me. And, and that is the biggest currency that I have is their trust. And so I don't want to let them down. I'm trying to make sure we get great allies out there that will help us on these issues that matter to our businesses. That's awesome. Now, did you ring the bell at the stock exchange too? Yes, we did. So I will tell you, our business godmother, Edie Frazier, put me on her board, Women's Business Collaborative. And the Women's Business Collaborative, as a board member, I was one of the 12 people that got to ring the bell. And I did a nod to my ladies in green. I wore my green and I wore my bow pin to give us a nod and a wink that we're coming. One day we're going to be able to do it ourselves too. But I was so grateful for our ally and mentor, Edie Frazier. What do you think the secret to success is? Partnerships are the best key to success. It's people. And I learned that the hard way with my first business, I did not have any partners. I had a relative amount of success, but my success was limited to what I knew. So when I say partners, I don't just mean business partners. I mean 
partners in the government, city officials that can collaborate and help you with financial resources, media partners. I did do that part right. I had a lot uh, with my first business, a lot of success with reaching out to the media and they were great with helping us collaborate and getting our message out. But I think when I counsel people that are thinking about starting businesses and when they say, I don't want to work for anyone, I just chuckle. I was like, well, you don't want to be a small business person because you work for everyone. (laughs) You work for your customers. You work for your employees. You work for your vendors. You work for the state when they need you to file whatever they need you to file. Like, You work for everyone. And so if you don't have a collaborative nature on how you can make your business a win-win and triangulate that, you won't be successful. But if you do, you will always have advocates and allies out there that will come to your aid when you need it the most. That is, I fundamentally think, the key to it. And I think when, especially... For those starting out who feel like they're at the bottom and that they're busy because they have to do every single thing, because as a business owner, not only do you have to have everyone as your customer, but you never get to close the door. You have to answer all the time, whether you want to or not. It's like it's like being a parent. You can hand somebody off to a babysitter or your mom and have it like grandma watch, but at the end of the day, it's your kid. And you got to take care of it and you got to fix the whatever root cause there is. But I think that even if you are at the starting point at the bottom and you've just gotten started, you still have a lot of value to give. Maybe you have a unique perspective. Maybe you can provide people a connection or something. It's how can I help? I might not have money. I might not have time, but there are different things or even unique ideas that you can provide someone who is maybe, in your view, more powerful, but it is this collaboration. I think another thing that was really great that I learned at the Women's Presidents Conference that we at NYLA do, but I never thought about it articulated, but small businesses can ensure that their suppliers and who they're buying from are diverse and a small business as well. We can make an effort to buy directly from a small business versus going through a large retailer. We can work to ensure that who we're buying from is also diverse because there are a lot of people out there. But as we're growing our business and we need to purchase things, we can ensure that our own supplier base is diverse as well. One thing uh, the collective did just the other day, we're having a a boat and bankers event where we're inviting bankers to sit down with the collective. And we picked this beautiful event space in Georgetown. And they were like, oh, great. Well, we have a list of preferred caterers. And I was like, are any of them African-American? Are any of them women? And they were like, I don't know, uh, but I'll, I'll check. And it gave me a little courage because sometimes we don't talk about diversity. It's a challenge to talk about women and equity issues. But if we don't have the courage to have those conversations, how can we expect anyone else to? 
I love what you said is knowing your power, knowing, you know, when you come together with an organization, I'm a WPO member as well. When you realize the strength in numbers, you're empowered. And that's all we all want to do as business owners is know our power. Going back to partnerships, when you are starting a new business, those are some of your earliest partners are people that you've worked with. I'm here in the DMV area, as you are, and you know that you have a lot of government employees. Those are some of the best businesses ever because they're like, okay, I've worked at DOD for 20 years. Let me go and take DOD and make it my client. Partnerships matter. Relationships are everything. And we have them. As women, I believe we just need to assert the ask, ask for the relationships, ask for the meetings, have confidence enough in what it is that you can do well, and then ask people to do it for you, to work with you, and you'd be surprised. Is there a book that you have read that really impacted you personally or professionally? I just say, honestly, I am not a well-read woman. What? You're a lawyer. And that is why I'm not well-read. I am so tired of reading all the daggone time. My husband, he rolls his eyes. I mean, he was like, you are the least lawyerly lawyer I know. I apologize. But I have read a couple books that have impacted me. And I think Eckhart Tolle, it was one of the books that I read after I lost my first business. It really talked fundamentally about being present and knowing that a lot of suffering is either in looking back or looking too much ahead, you know, obsessing over things that you can't change in the past or being too afraid of things that will come. It just helped calm me to keeping decisions into the present. What do I have to decide today? I can't control for all the things that may happen over the next three years. But let me make the best next decision. I do like to look for tools on how to help me stay grounded, stay excited, stay focused, and really forgive myself when I screw up so that I can get back up and do what I got to do. But that was a good one. Tell me something about yourself that might surprise others. That I am an introvert or an omnivert. I am very circumstantially, I give a lot of energy and then I'm very quiet. And then the other thing is I have never seen one scary movie, horror movie in my whole life. Like, Your whole life? My whole life, ever. I was like, my life is already a little scary. I don't want to <laughs> scare my dreams. Like I don't want to go to sleep and have nightmares. So that's not my jam. Do you have an ask of the audience for either yourself or for the Bow Collective? So you've got all these ears listening, probably a lot with resources and maybe some without resources, maybe people you could help. What would be your ask of the audience? I would ask them to visit our website, uh, thebowcollective.org, where you see a list of these amazing businesses. And, you know, maybe there is a business that you're looking for that can provide a service for you. I think that's one. And then I just think, you know, no matter what your resource is, as a small business, as a woman business, as a Black woman business, we have 
all of the same desires. We just want to do really great work and knowing what you said earlier that you have choices sometimes. Women supporting women is uh, one of the best catalytic things that we can do. And so I, I say in general, women be supportive of each other, whether it is in business, whether it is at um, your kid's soccer practice, your PTA. I've been a PTA president, but being supportive of other people in your day-to-day practice, that would be my prayer. And that's my general ask. If we all help each other in different ways, then we end up building a net that lifts us all up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're we're really not in competition. We can support each other. It is a false narrative that if I get something, that means you lack. That is a false narrative. I believe that we can all have the abundance, particularly when we link up together. And, and that is my rally cry, not only for the collective, but small businesses in general. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a delight to hear your personal journey and how you've been through it and how you are continuing to give back as you grow yourself, your marriage, your family, and your community. So I really admire you. I look forward to buying from these businesses. Oh, thank you. And you are a tremendous success leading the good fight, being an inspiration for all businesses, not just small, not just women, just being a damn great business owner. So I'm watching you too. You watching me and I'm watching you. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to share it with friends and family. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn under the Outspoken Podcast. Thanks again, and chin up, heads up, eyes forward.